Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. And this is Gigabit Nation. Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Fellows, and I'd like to welcome everyone in the audience today. And thank you for taking time to be with us as we continue to help public, private, and nonprofit organizations tackle important broadband issues and getting broadband everywhere that it needs to be. Uh, today should be an interesting show since we're going to uh, hopefully have a lot of uh, call-ins. The topic, though, is one that is, uh, I think, significantly important to many folks involved in broadband uh, directly and even indirectly, and that is the economic impact that this technology has uh, in communities. And this is somewhat of a complex, or it can be a complex uh, issue, uh, especially when you start getting into high-level economic theory and, and, and discussions that kind of, I think, go into a lot of blue sky. And uh, what this show is going to do is try to bring it down to the local level and talk about really practical uh, issues, practical impacts that uh, the uh, the technology can have, whether we're talking um, broadband wireless, broadband wired, some combination of the two. It it doesn't really matter, uh, is, you know, in terms of which technology, in the, in the sense of you know, communities have to decide for themselves. But the survey that I conducted with um, economic development professionals around the U.S really didn't, you know, at some point it did ask them about uh, wireless and also wired, but we're trying to get away from this, you know, one or the other kind of discussion, conflict, whatever you want to describe it as, and and really just get into the issue of, you know, how can it impact economic outcomes, and then then what factors need to be into uh, consideration, uh, and and what is it that these economic development folks who who responded to the survey, what are they seeing out there in terms of of outcomes? And then hopefully we'll have some callers and people here in the chat room that will pose some really good questions for thought and uh, get a lot of uh, good ideas on the board. Um, as a central sort of um, focus for the survey, uh, we looked at three areas. One, you know, what is the state of broadband in in the respondents' communities? Now, some of these folks responding were responsible for a city or a town. Others were responsible for an entire region within a state. So their, their populations that they represented kind of vary, but I think are representative of uh, the different uh, jurisdictions within the U.S. There was a uh, heavy number of rural uh, respondents, but there were also uh, urban and suburban uh, folks there as as well. Uh, most of the respondents worked for uh, or work for economic development agencies or departments and so forth. So they're they're really pretty much the people who are dealing with uh, local economies at a hands-on uh, level. Um, 
if I were to break the survey into three parts, one, like I said, looks at the uh, state of broadband today. The uh, second part looked at broadband's impact on six very specific outcomes. Uh, one is attracting new businesses to town. Uh, second is making the existing local businesses more competitive. The third area was revising depressed business districts. Um, the fourth area or fourth outcome was revising depressed communities. Now you can have a depressed community for which in, in, in which there are no businesses uh, or very few businesses, and then you can have things such as industrial parks or you know warehouse districts and so forth that are business districts that are that are depressed. So we we broke the two of these up. Um, we looked at uh, improving individuals' ability to earn income, which is a point that I think gets lost a lot in the discussions about broadband. And then the th uh, last area is increasing uh, home-based businesses. Uh, again, I think the, uh, the, the issue of home-based businesses and how does broadband impact this gets, gets a little lost in the... Um, Oh, in the in the various discussions, particularly at a, at a national level. So, if I look at just the, you know, what is the state of broadband? Starting with, you know, what kinds of wireless broadband existed in the respondents' communities? A um, the the largest segment is always uh, has been at least the last five or six years I've been doing the survey has been the the private networks owned by one of the major. Uh, telecom companies or cable companies. Uh, what's interesting is that the second highest group of respondents, you know, talk about having a um, uh, a limited reach network, primarily in business areas or downtown retail districts or industrial parks, where a community has built uh, either wireless or a wired network to uh, impact that very specific. Audience. The um, next uh, sort of grouping uh, of um, respondents seem to have those folks with networks that are primarily for uh, government use. And about 15% of the folks surveyed say that they have a network that is specifically uh, for for government use. Um, I think the the importance of that is if you have a network for community use, if you've built this infrastructure for that purpose and you've gotten your, in essence, return on investment for that particular uh, build-out, then you, you have a little latitude to either call in a partner or in some way expand that uh, infrastructure or expand the services that are delivered via that infrastructure so that you can provide services to businesses, services to low-income individuals. Um, you know, there's, there's a number of different constituencies that you can uh, approach once you've developed um, that kind of a uh, that kind of a network. Um, Another area where um, well, respondents say they have some wireless coverage is um, uh, community-owned networks. So we had about 12% of the folks responding that have community-owned networks, and um, which usually I think translates meaning municipal-owned, and then another 12-13% that have uh, networks that are run by uh, co-ops or um, other non non profits.
there's a fair number of um, oh, what I call public-private partnerships, uh, maybe 12, 13% of the folks that have those kinds of networks. And these numbers seem to be or have been steady over the past a uh, couple of years, nothing really new and uh, has changed in that regard. Uh, in terms of uh, wired networks, either fiber or cable, the percentages are, are fairly much the same. You have 13, 16% of uh, the various uh, categories of networks, government use only, um, limited, use, limited reach networks, uh, co-op run networks and so forth. Um, that are that are uh, represented by the uh, respondents. Um, moving on, uh, this year I really wanted to get to the question of, you know, how how effective are the uh, speeds that are being provided that um, that are sufficient to impact general and personal economic development uh, outcomes. Now, what's interesting this year, uh, I think it's the first time we've tackled this particular question, is that um, a fair number of folks will say that as of today, as of now, that maybe 40% of the uh, networks that are run by private sector companies are uh, sufficient. Um, but it's also interesting to note that um, close to 18% have said that there um, aren't providers uh, providing uh, broadband at the speed that is uh, necessary to impact economic development. Another 13% feel the same way, but at least they are uh, folks in communities that are working to change this to try to develop some sort of economic development uh, project around um, broadband. And I think the question of speed is important because it is always uh, stated in, you know, in a lot of sources, particularly when we're talking uh, about the incumbents or when the incumbents are talking about broadband to say, oh, well, we have a lot of competitors. We have a lot of companies. You know, just about everywhere in America except for the most rural areas, there are broadband networks. And while it may be true that there are broadband networks in uh, various communities, just having the connection is not by itself a value. If you don't have a network that's fast enough to enable a business to do video conferencing, to move huge amounts of data, um, to uh, enable people to take online training programs, to do online education, to access the kinds of complex um, Internet resources that can help them uh, improve their work uh, skill sets, then you don't have economic development. You don't have speeds that are sufficient to to tackle the issue of economic development. And so, again, when you ask the uh, economic development folks and you put it very specifically to the question of is there sufficient um, enough broadband, are there sufficient enough providers, uh, you get a very different picture. And you get one that says, okay, we need more, better um, broadband. So I think that that's a, a factor. Now, in, in the uh, area of um, of broadband, and when you talk to 
the uh, folks that are in uh, public advocacy, folks that are out there working day in and day out uh, trying to get uh, consumer-friendly uh, uh, regulations and programs and so forth. The the next question that comes out, you know, when you talk about is there sufficient speed to do the things that are necessary, there's always the question of competition, as in are there enough competitors that can force the price down? You know, as much as uh, the, the large incumbents and, and uh, free market uh, cheerleaders want to talk about, you know, the, the, the value of just having the free enterprise do it and things are fine and government and communities should not get into the business of broadband. It is always interesting to note that uh, when a network comes online from a community group, from a public utility, from a co-op uh, that's offering 100 meg speed, a gigabit speed, that all of a sudden then the, the the landscape becomes more price sensitive. Prices start to drop. Uh, offers start to improve. Uh, incumbents that refuse to service an area all of a sudden start talking about expanding their network into these areas that the community networks are bringing in online. So what this really points to is the fact that if you bring in competition you almost always have a positive impact on both speed and price and uh, and quality of service. And so when we looked at uh, the question of, um, you know, what's the competitive landscape, it is very interesting to see that uh, 43% of the respondents, so their, their jurisdictions, are uh, pretty much a duopoly situation. There's one primary um, telephone company, there's one primary cable company, and neither one of these in their respective areas has uh, enough competitors or any competitors that are big enough, strong enough, have enough market presence to have a positive impact on both the um, the speed uh, issue and also the price and quality of service. So it is very important to link those two when you're having a discussion, when you're developing policies and you're saying that what, what the, the outcome of all of this exercise is to impact our local economy, then what you're really saying is that you've got to pay attention to uh, the issue of um, you know, how are you going to address that? How are you going to increase that? Who are you going to partner with to bring a strong player uh, to the table? What kinds of policies and regulations are going to be put into place or removed uh, to to address this issue? So it's, a, uh, it's very complex and it's very sensitive. It's very rowdy sometimes, this discussion, but it is a discussion that needs to happen. Now, every year I always ask the question, you know, of, of um, our economic developers, you know, if they don't have a network, they don't have a community network, are there plans for uh, for building one? Um, there seems to be a high percentage, uh, in relative terms, uh, about 12% or so of folks that are saying that they're they're interested or they're planning to build a network but it may only be in limited areas. And, for example, it could be just the industrial park, just the retail district, but at least they have plans to move forward. Um, 
in the in the wireless side of things, I think there's about uh, 11% or so that are uh, planning to start building a network in the next uh, six to 18 months. And there's a higher percentage, maybe 15, 16% that are looking at uh, building a, a fiber <clears throat> network. And then there are another 22 to 25% that are looking at building either a wireless or a wired network uh, in their communities at some point in the uh, future. Uh, so there are definitely folks that are looking at exploring the plans. Uh, last year, an interesting statistic was that um, the the highest number of um, the highest number of uh, folks that had plans in place, economic development departments or agencies that have plans in place that included broadband. Uh, it was definitely higher in the rural communities. Now, whether that's an issue of um, they feel there's a greater need in rural communities, uh, they feel a greater sense of urgency, but um, the, the urban economic development folks, you know, were everybody's obviously doing plans, economic planning, but uh, didn't seem to be as aggressive on the, you know, having broadband as a component of their economic uh, development uh, planning, for better or for worse. Some would probably say for worse. When we um, move to the next section where we, where we looked at those six uh, economic outcomes, attracting businesses, making current businesses more competitive, uh, revising depressed business districts or depressed communities, uh, improving ability uh, of individuals to uh, earn income, and improving or increasing the number of home-based businesses. We looked at this in the survey in, in, in a couple of ways. One was looking at fiber and wireless compared. Now, I understand the cable, you know, cable is also a part of the picture in a number of communities. When we did our survey last year, um, an interesting thing that came out was that when we asked about the direct and in, indirect impact of wireless, cable, and fiber on these six outcomes, cable was almost, I, you know, just within a point or two of wireless in terms of the impact that folks felt it had on those particular economic outcomes. So I held off a year on asking the question again, figure I'll wait till next year, bring the question back. Uh, I would I would contend just as a kind of an off the cuff, uh, you know, analysis of that is that it is probably because uh, with DSL or with um, you know traditional cable you have a ceiling on how much horsepower you can get out of those networks. And if you have aging infrastructure um, in, in a community, uh, you're not sure that that's going to be upgraded, and then there's a limit to how much of an upgrade that you can actually get, how much more you can you know, pull from, from, from uh, uh, cable and uh, DSL connections. Uh, you sort of look at that and you kind of put it on, on par with, uh, with wireless technology. So in this year, uh, looking at it, as has been the case for the last oh, six years that I've been doing the survey, um, a greater percentage of folks feel that fiber will have a direct impact on all of all six um, economic outcomes. 
Now, we didn't ask them to say, you know, would you choose one versus the other? We wanted to look at that in isolation. Now, what this means, so for example, attracting uh, new businesses, 58% of respondents feel that fiber is, will have a direct impact on that, whereas 40% feel that wireless will have a direct impact on that. Uh, reviving um, depressed business districts. Now, what's interesting is that the the gap between the impact of fiber and the impact of wireless becomes less when we look at uh, reviving depressed business districts, reviving depressed communities, um, even improving individuals' ability to earn uh, income. Uh, there's about a seven point, a seven percentage point spread between wireless and fiber. Um, the, the, the impact on, on home-based businesses is a similar kind of um, stretch. So if you look at things from the context of each individual outcome, if that is your goal, then when you are evaluating your options for uh, technology, uh, you want to consider these responses. Now we have a caller in, I believe. Good morning. This is Gigabit Nation. Hello. Do we have a caller? Hello, hello. Hello. Yes, hi. This is Gigabit Nation. Oh, okay. This is uh, Tim. Tim, how are you doing today? I'm good. Uh, yeah, we. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming the discussion is relative to broadband. I saw you on the LinkedIn. Oh yes, definitely. Uh, we're course. we're about ten minutes in. We've been having a general discussion about uh, some of the survey results from economic development professionals and how they feel uh, broadband I impacts. Uh, and we we isolated six specific outcomes for them, and uh, and their feelings on each of those. And there are a number of other questions related to uh, you know what's the state of broadband in their area and so forth. Now, by the way, where where are you calling in from? I'm calling from uh, northern Michigan, the Traverse City area. Okay. Northern uh, and and I am a independent wireless internet service provider. Okay. Uh, and in working with various EDCs, economic development corporations, um, and we talk about what the economic impact of broadband is, uh, part of my concern is that in many cases when they're talking about that impact, it's really just a reallocation of uh, impact from one region to another. Oh, yeah, it, I saw that on LinkedIn. How do, you, how do you mean a reallocation of impact? Okay, um, so in, in our particular region, we are tourism uh, or a lot of seasonal families. And the discussion goes in, well, if they have broadband available, then they'll spend more time in our region and spend the money here in the local economy, which means that they're spending money here, but they're not spending money where they live. Okay. So all you're, all you're doing is shifting the economic opportunity from one region to another, which if it if it happens to benefit my local region, that seems positive. If they're moving away from my region, then that's a negative. But it's a net zero gain for the state or for the federal system. I mean, if you want to look at it at a more global impact. I what would I agree with you. 
that at the state level and maybe even to a certain extent the regional level that is true but if you are a community where a lot of your tourists come from say large cities or they're coming from uh out of state then it is a um it is a net gain for your local community or any community in your county say for example that these tourists are coming in if they're staying longer and if they're spending more. Right. And oh, I, 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 yep. Absolutely. Uh, so, so I don't discount that. I don't discount what you're saying. Okay. I mean, so for the local economy, that's great. But for generating new economy, um, whether it be apps, whether it be new employment opportunities, um, but I was going to focus on the net zero gain, okay? So the same thing comes with our local government, townships, okay? So township government, village government makes their money based on uh, property taxes. Mm -hmm. That's where most of the revenue comes in from. The local townships and cities really are opposed to broadband. Because if somebody works out of their home generating revenue for themselves as an individual, then the township, neither the township nor the village, benefit directly from increased property tax. But don't you benefit by, number one, having that person making an income versus not making an income? And also, doesn't that person tend to spend money locally? Yeah, that is indirect revenue. Okay. But to to a township supervisor or a village manager who has to balance his budget, his reality, their reality is they don't gain in direct revenue. They really do not appreciate, nor do they, I mean, they understand, but the problem is they got to count numbers. And so if they're going to go after new jobs in the area, they're not going to they're not going to push for broadband-based economy. Now, the state may do the sales tax. The state may do through payroll tax. But the local government, the townships, the city, because the revenue is based on personal property tax, they want you to be in a physical concrete building. <laughs> they so, want so you to have desks. They want you to have computers. They want you to have something they can tax for their revenue. So when you are talking about economic gain, because we've been wondering why townships and villages and counties, for all that matter, why they don't want broadband, I mean, they don't value the broadband. And yet I do all the same arguments about new jobs. I mean, we just brought in six people making $100,000 a year in the region. I know them personally because they're customers. Mm-hmm. Yet, they were more excited about a furniture store that was going to employ six people at $30,000 a year. And I couldn't figure out why until I realized it was personal property tax. But, it, it, but, it, but what it sounds like is that it's all about the property tax. It ignores the fact that six people now have a job. Yes, exactly. But from their view, their very narrow view, all they're worried about is that property tax, property values are in decline. 
So mm-hmm. the revenue source is declining. So the challenge in this economic growth argument is how to shift how government bodies fund themselves. So I if guess the shift, question would if, okay, go ahead. I was going to say, would would the question be then? Um, how do you use the technology as an enticement to convince uh, a hardware store to move in? In other words, it, I, with, with such a narrow vision, this, I can see where this can get to be a real, like, uh, comp, you know, difficult argument. But basically, if you can convince more people or more companies to move or expand. Um, does that then have the impact they want? In other words, if someone uh, said, okay, well, you know, you've got a, a uh, I don't know, an executive that moves in that's worth six figures. Well, if that executive rolls in and brings a part of their business operation um, that they, in essence, need an office for, they need space for, because you've convinced them that, hey, you know, if, if you're a VP of marketing, uh, and you you know you, you you like being here and you like uh, you know spending excellent amount of time fishing or skiing or whatever it is people do in you know in that in a particular area. Why not bring you know three or four people make a mini office a mini outlet a you know in other words um, this is what anyway this is the this is an argument that was put forward by I believe it was Three Lakes Wisconsin where. Um, they're, I think they're very similar to the area that you're in. You know, a lot of a lot of a lot of progress is based on on the um, on, on the property tax discussion. Mm-hmm. But right. they they also figured out that um, you know having certain pe- a, a certain number of folks that are that are making a decent amount of money, you you have to have certain services to support them. You have to have you know, some a certain number of retail operation, number certain number of service professionals, and so forth. Is it you know from a long term planning perspective? Cannot you plan? Can you not, or not you you yourself? But I mean, can the community not, you know, figure out how to plan a certain level of growth that says if we bring in X type of person or X type of business, we can then get you know five or six auxiliary businesses or services to start up as a result? I, I a, Absolutely. I believe that, okay, um, but I'm in the broadband business. <laughs> uh, okay, so I, I the, the problem is, here's a real example. In our small town of Elk Rapids, where I'm based, okay, and I do 12 counties, but where I'm based is Elk Rapids, they're extremely excited about a new beer uh, uh, manufacturing company that moved in. Great mm-hmm. company, making a great impact. They enjoy the new revenues created by the increased factory. Okay, but they're also faced with that reality that they now have to put $5 million into their waste treatment facility because of the type of waste this beer production produces that they're not prepared to process. So okay. the whole model in government funding, in government utilities, in government services is all based on this physical model. 
whereas you and I and this discussion is all going towards this virtual economy. Mm -hmm. And there is no formula that says, you know what, instead of that beer pub, and I'm not complaining about the beer manufacturer, I think he's great generating jobs, but if you factor in the economic impact of the $5 million uh, waste treatment facility that has to be produced versus creating a robust infrastructure for people to move in, these vice presidents, which, by the way, we have a lot of them, um, you know, from the executive of U.S. Robotics down. I mean, this is just a rich area of people who are high up in companies making uh, significant salaries. And they don't move the accounting department. They don't move the professional staff. Mm -hmm. They move their family here but they don't move a portion of their business. Not yet. We haven't figured out how to attract it. But the problem I've got when dealing with the government decision makers is how to create a formula where it takes into consideration this new economy, mm -hmm. where they can look at it and see it in black and white, that if they were to support the efforts of the broadband providers, the amount of indirect benefits that they would receive. They mm -hmm. want to see direct benefits. Right, right. Well, and, and I, that's been our challenge over the last 12 years, mm -hmm. trying to come up with the EDC models that help these decision makers understand uh, from a black and white, not from an emotional standpoint. Everybody understands how broadband is a good thing. Mm -hmm. but well, I think that... Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, I think that um, uh, let's see. Part of the issue is 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 the mindset of, of the government. I mean, I think that with anything related to broadband, one of the challenges is, and it can be a generational thing, or it can be just you know an educational issue of you know how how familiar people are with the technology, is that you have certain old school philosophy and thinking that is always going to be a hurdle. You know, they're not going to understand the technology, they're not going to understand the impact, they're not going to be ready for making a dramatic change. I mean, I think that, you know, one, if I sort of give a list of, you know, short recommendations, you know, one is that they need to be educated on the options. Okay, that's given. Two, they, but they, I think they need to be educated on how other communities are addressing this issue. You know, for example, you know, I, I bring up uh, Three Lakes because I, I I wrote I wrote them up for for an article, but I mean they've got a video out about what they've done and they you know they do speaking stuff. I mean they put out a lot of content about the success that they're having, and it's not all just because of broadband, but broadband is a key part of it. But I mm -hmm. think that a town like yours or the one that you work in, having a discussion with a similar town in a similar state or part of the state. Um, to understand how they have made the transition is probably the first thing to do uh, because, you know, it's only by seeing their peers move through this, I think, that anyone's going to figure out that there's a way. You know, until they see that, everything is very closed off from them. And so their ability to kind of get out there and touch and feel uh, some other success stories and say, well, we could do something similar um, 
is probably a good way to go. Now, if they're totally stubborn and they're not going to see the way and they're only going to be a total, you know, last century kind of thinker, you know, there's nothing you can really do about those. But if you feel like there's hope that they can, you know, if shown a comparable uh, community proving how this all works in, you know, in black and white terms, then I think that that would, would matter. So that would be step one. Step two is I think, and then I've told other communities, that you have to look at what kind of businesses make sense to bring in, right? Because I think that, that a lot of communities default automatically to, well, we can become the next Silicon Valley because mm-hmm. they think, well, we'll bring in broadband and we'll bring in technology companies. Well, not every community is situated or set up or has a a, a workforce that is able to staff technology companies. So what you really have to do is say, well, what kind of businesses could we draw? And if we draw them, you know, will we be able to support them? It sounds like, you know, bringing in the beer company was a great idea from numbers of jobs, but it brought in an associated cost. That is a bit of a problem. But maybe, you know, someone setting up a call center wouldn't have the same problem. And, 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 you know, number one, a call center does require a physical space uh, to work and do the kinds of tasks that call centers do. doesn't necessarily mean that you need people with college educations. Um, you know, in other words, so I think it is the type of company you want to draw in uh, is a big factor because I have seen, comp- you know, cities do the, you know, default. We're going to have broadband and we're going to get X kind of company. Well, maybe that's good for you, maybe it's not. But for some communities, they got to look kind of long and hard at, you know, what what does make sense? What can they realistically bring in? You know, will it be just executives or just vacationing, and all they're going to bring in is their family? Is it going to be a, um, you know, a skilled but a skill that's learnable kind of company that you bring in, and then let that be the, you know, the, the moving forward part. You know, another thing I think that, that people need to consider is, you know, can they you know, facilitate research projects, you know, especially environmental research, land use research. I mean, all there's all kinds of, you know, research on sort of the natural world around us and say, look, you know, can we put a bid in because we have, you know, the best, I don't know, soil conditions or we have good land management practices or something so that then you say, well, the, the, the broadband is what will facilitate us getting that grant and the grant represents X, you know, whether millions of dollars, yada, yada, yada. In other words, it's not just another way of looking at it, but I think that the situation that you have is people have to come out of the box to look at all these issues of economic development. I mean, the, the survey picked five areas or six areas to, to, to look at. Can broadband impact those? But within each of those areas, I think that a, that, that a lot of unconventional thinking has to take place. Mm-hmm. And that is where I think you are is that it's that that you've got to get the people and the communities and whatever stakeholders you have to kind of come in, look at some other communities, turn things around and upside down and inside out, and then go back at the question and and it could very well be that some answers pop their way out. Very possibly. I will look at Three Lakes, Wisconsin, um and see what you know, what I can find on that. Because they are it's not that they're not narrow, not they're not narrow-minded, okay? Um, it's they have their reality of day to day, and in the current economic environment that they have, 
they're having to make some very tough decisions of how to continue providing the services that they've been used to providing, which are necessary, with a significantly declining revenue. Right. Uh, so when you're being when you're under this pressure, uh, continued pressure, it's difficult to look outside the box at something one they don't understand. Uh, I mean, it's technology, and most people don't understand technology, and they can't necessarily relate since they can't relate to the delivery vehicle. They can't relate to the positive impact that would come from it. Mm-hmm. So what they're looking for are those economic development studies that give real concrete uh, examples of how these indirect r- revenues, these indirect resources help them grow their direct budget. Right, okay. Well, this and, has been very and, good. And, and we have, and I have not found that study. I've been looking for it. Uh, I know the Michigan Economic Development Corporation says they don't have it. Uh, Connect Michigan, which is doing the mapping and other promotions of broadband in the area, don't have those studies. Um, but there isn't a direct correlation to an economy based on, you know, uh, Broadband, I guess it's a terrible way of saying it, but but it is it's a virtual economy. It's a it's a knowledge based economy. Right. Um, uh, how that now affects a whole group of individuals that are all based on brick and mortar. Right. And there's no shift from the brick and mortar thinking of economy to this knowledge economy, mm-hmm. and there's no bridge to help those decision makers see that if they take that leap, not a leap of faith, but a, but mm-hmm. a, a thought-out leap, right, uh, right. That, that the end result in two, three, ten years, I mean, it's, it's like looking at the uh, uh, water treatment facility. That $5 million investment mm-hmm. is really a no-brainer even for this small community of 1,200 people. We're all for it. Okay, because mm-hmm. that's a 30-year investment, that's right. a 40-year investment. And if we do that now for this one, it will also help the food production plant down the road. Right. And you know, they, they can see that long-term investment. So it's not that they don't think outside the box. But they're they're forced with certain realities they feel like they need to deal with, and those realities are kind of in the here and now and clear lines between A to B to C. Is what they're and, is what they're needing, and, and what the economic development studies don't do is show that bridge. Right, that I totally understand where you're where you're coming from, and you know, thank you for to, uh, for for calling in because I think this was a good point to bring out. In fact, will allow me to segue to my uh, next couple of points from the the, the survey. So, Tim, thank you very much, and, well, and do stay in touch and, and watch this, uh, listen to the show again. Take care. Do. Yep. Thank bye bye. So, you know, to, to Tim's point, you know, a lot of there is an issue with economic development studies uh and the need that people have for economic development studies to show clear lines between A to B to C. Um as we talk about some of the other findings for this particular survey, um you know, I'll just put it out there right now that you 
you're not going to find too many long-term studies or or stories to look at. I mean, broadband, for the most part, has been a a part of people's economic landscape for the past, you know, two, three years for many of the networks that are in place, maybe eight to ten for some of the longest standing, but only a handful of the networks that are out there. The, um, The upside... Uh, is that you know there are some lessons to learn from those, but I think it doesn't give people that certain comfort, you know. As Tim was talking about, you know, you build a water waste management project, and you can see very clearly these lines. And to a certain extent, economic development in and broadband is going to require a certain leap of faith, but also looking at ver- at smaller impact um, studies, or I should say, shorter ter- timelines for certain impact studies. For example, you know, I often talk about Chattanooga. Uh, You know, Chattanooga has been at this, though, for just a a handful of years. Now, they based their initial assumptions on some other economic data that gave them a big-picture view of the potential impact. And, uh, but but a lot of it was sort of a, a what if. You know, if we had the ability to reduce um uh outages of uh electricity outages what would be the impact to your business and that was the nature of their survey and people responded and again it was very much an if then well if this happens you know this is probably going to be the result we would probably save x number of money and they took that leap and they built the network and now they've had it for a year or two they are seeing those kinds of impacts and they're seeing enough short-term impact to justify or feel justified in their decision to have made that investment and you know i think that for the time being the best we're going to be able to do is look at communities such as chattanooga lafayette uh that um that have um started out with very specific economic intentions and have seen those things come to bear come to and then are now starting to do the legwork so we got to have that leap of faith not much to go you know not much to do to get around that to kind of continue with the uh the point or the points I was making about uh impact who is um or, or what is being impacted by Fiber versus wireless. Um, fiber has the um, the edge. Now, one of the things I would say, and then one of the things obviously we'll look at for next year, is looking more at the uh, speed issue. Meaning, you know, is your expectation of the economic impact about the speed or about the physical, you know, infrastructure that you use? I think people have an assumption that wireless only gets you a certain ceiling in terms of speed. Fiber is infinite in terms of the amount of speed. And so people, I think, look at that. But, you know, if, if you followed my show, the last uh, month there have been a couple of WISPs that have been on the show, wireless ISPs, that have talked about fixed wireless applications that have brought the the flexibility aspect of wireless uh, the low-cost deployment aspect of wireless into communities and delivered uh, a gigabit or more sur- uh, speed in terms of service that then allows those economic impacts, you know, the ability to attract new business, the ability to um, improve uh, dilapidated, run-down retail districts and so forth. It's a speed factor. So I would I would look at this year's survey 
and say, well, you know, is it the is it the the infrastructure, is it the wires, or the lack of wires, or is it the speed that um, that may be uh, that may be the issue? Now, one a couple of little interesting things: uh, the areas where there is considered to be the highest impact um, uh, is attracting new business. Uh, 39% of wire, people who felt wireless would impact that. Uh, nearly 60% of folks feel that way about fiber. Um, home businesses, the ability to increase home businesses uh, was also received high marks. 48% of folks feel that fiber can impact or increase the number of small business or home-based businesses that get started, and 41% feel that way about the wireless technology. Now, I think you will have, again, two views of that. I think the local political establishment, as Tim pointed out, may not be all that enamored with home-based business because it doesn't drive up property tax. And subsequently, they may not be all that anxious to support the build-out of a municipal broadband network. However, if you look at it from the community perspective of the individual users, of individual people who are working and looking at a home-based business as a way to start a new career, to build up supplemental income, what have you, having fast broadband is a is a factor in their ability to do that. And so it may be that, uh, maybe I should have brought this up to Tim, is that the solution is that the community builds a network because it is the community as in the the constituents the home people living at home the renters the um the the the, the smaller businesses that can start in in someone's basement or garage they are the ones that say okay we'll contribute we'll contribute to the building of that uh network because it has a very significant impact um lower in terms of percentages um was uh, improving individuals' ability to earn income and reviving uh, communities. You know, I would contend that it is maybe lower on the scale of interest for the time being. But if you if you separate out the issue of a local uh, economy and how much of that is going to be improved by your uh, constituents' ability to improve their education, to improve their job skills, to improve their ability uh, to advance and to become entrepreneurs, then all of this is going to have... Uh, a positive um, economic impact, and maybe it's a case where people need to see more examples of that before they become sold on the idea of of putting a network um, a network in place. Now we looked at moving along here. Um, also, uh, what's interesting, if, if you haven't looked at the survey yet, another thing is, you know, to look at the direct and indirect impact of of um, each of the the technologies, wireless and and fiber. Uh, I would say again, look at what it is that your community wants to do. Is it making uh, local companies more uh, competitive? One of the things uh, in my in my art in my article that I worked on regarding, um, I hope it's Three Lakes, not Two Lakes. Three Lakes, Wisconsin, is that their economic development folks say, you know, the biggest problem that we have in some of these discussions about broadband is that people who live in big cities 
only see economic development in big terms. You know, the company that comes in and brings 500 jobs, the uh, changing of a community from an industrial to uh, an economic develop or into an, uh, a technology um, environment is all a, a big city kind of view, if you will, and it doesn't l play into the fact that in smaller towns, getting 10 companies that each will bring four or five jobs actually has a greater and maybe even a faster economic impact than trying to land the one big company that brings 200 jobs for a number of reasons. You know, it may be that you you get the big company, but then you have bigger costs that you have to deal with. So um, we need to look at these things from what is it that we want to do uh, with the technology. We need to address issues, you know, what is it, what is more important, attracting business, making the current businesses more effective. Do we have um, an industrial park? I, I did a project for a small community in, in California where their industrial park of 400 uh, businesses represents the economic lifeblood of that community. That would be uh, Benicia, California. And the... Um, the value of, of broadband was totally isolated in their mind to uh, how do we make that uh, that industrial park more effective? How do we make it uh, so that it attracts a different kind of business uh, that brings uh, better vitality to the community? They weren't concerned about uh, whether constituents had it because they felt that they were already taken care of by traditional providers. They weren't really worried about the retail district, even though it was um, – uh, you know, is a is a part of the community, but it had a lesser priority. Their their big thing was the industrial part. So how we look at these outcomes uh, and where how they apply to your particular community should then look you look at the question of you know well does wireless have an impact? Does does fiber have a greater impact? Then you can look at the offsetting costs and the offsetting benefits of the technology more effectively when you're looking at it through this lens of the 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 outcome that you're trying to achieve. Um, the uh, one of my other points in the survey in the survey or about why it is that I do this survey <clears throat> is that there in national policy circles in national political circles politicians and policymakers tend to find a, uh, a single soundbite that becomes this mantra that becomes then the heart of economic uh, or broadband policy. Um, I don't think one area has been more, you know, a great example of this than the issue of looking for jobs. You know, if you go from the White House down to the State House, you know, all these policy wonks, all these politicians talk about, you know, we get this broadband in so that people can look for jobs. And what happens is, those sound bites become the policies that become the funding programs for broadband, and then what you get valued uh, on as a you know when you present a proposal is well, do you allow people to search for jobs? Well, that may be good and it may be worthwhile, but it may not be the full value that broadband can bring to an individual's ability to improve economically. And last year and this year, the most interesting thing about the survey is when we talk, it gave survey respondents an option of um, 
looking for a job, reaching a higher education level, improving job skills or professional development, um, transitioning to a new industry or profession. Looking for job, looking for a job is like the lowest um, thing that people see as far as the value of broadband. There is a better, greater value in their minds in uh, in, in improving a people's ability to, to improve their education level, to improve their job skills level. And when you think about it, really that is where the greater value is. I mean, with broadband in a community, a rural community, low-income uh, urban community, the ability for that technology to bridge, you know, Harvard um, business schools and colleges and community colleges and so forth to that community to where now you can tap all of these resources and improve yourself as a person, improve your knowledge, improve your skill set, just improve your ability to network in a professional environment. All of those things have greater impact. And why this is important is because um, you know the speed that you need to look for a job and to look and submit your resume is much less than the speed that you need to be able to take online courses, to be able to uh, engage in interactive sessions with mentors or with colleges or whatever. That the type of infrastructure you build is very different when the baseline is a simple, I'm just going to go look for a job, versus I am going to go improve myself as an individual. And it is somewhat unconventional thinking. People don't even, you know, they, they think about government as, well, you need to do these these big projects to help people get access. And and people even divide on whether the government should be involved in just that particular uh, endeavor. And so what's going on here is that we are using sound bites and what politicians use to get elected or, or re-elected to city council or to, to, to state representative or the governor's office is the sound bite Whereas the reality is, if you really care about the economic development of the individual, you've got to look at it very differently for what it is that you are trying to build for them as a uh, as a resource. So I, uh, I get very animated about that particular topic because I've seen so many cases where the sound bites have sold the communities a bill of goods, have raised expectations beyond what is practical to to expect. And and then everyone gets disappointed, and the people with the sound bites have moved on. So probably I should leave that one alone now, get my blood pressure back to a normal state. Um, one of the, the questions, another question we asked was, you know, can broadband encourage individual entrepreneurship? You know, well, if you if you believe that, which um, 60, 65% of survey respondents do, one of the things you have to consider is that you cannot just build the network and some some bright individual is going to become an entrepreneur, that you have to put programs in place, whether mentoring programs, whether basic, you know, how to run a business kinds of seminars, webinars, what have you, but there has to be support mechanisms for these kinds of outcomes to um, to uh, be to be effective. So you you gotta you gotta look at that. You gotta look at just you know not just the the, the infrastructure, but the economic development processes. You know and are and who your partners are. Is, you know has your chamber 
become engaged? Has your community college become engaged? You know, in the survey, I point out a couple of examples of communities where they tied in an infrastructure, if you will, between uh, the chamber and local community colleges and the hospital and clinics to create um, a certain economic impact. Uh, that they look at it as a soup-to-nuts kind of solution, not just a question of do we slap in certain infrastructure, give it certain speed, and let it go and hope for the best. Um, the, the the issue of home-based businesses, you know, can't emphasize enough. Again, there's about, oh, 70% of, of respondents, survey respondents, feel that this is a valid objective. This needs attention. It needs support programs but, you know, at the end, if you've got more people working, even if they're only making, you know, 100 bucks a, a, a week, at least they're not on, on, on public assistance. They're not using up the, the other support resources, the safety nets and so forth. And so, you know, you've got to look at those things in that bigger picture. Um, now, one of the interesting um Ed Dobbs is one of my frequent uh, listeners here at the show, and he always has a good uh, question to kind of probe discussion. Which is then, in, in this case, you know, does does broadband enable um, the globally dispersed market? Um, I think I probably want to expand the, the question a little bit here. I'm not sure I fully grasp it. I think it's basically addressing the issue of, of global uh, global markets. You know, we think very locally. I think when we talk when we talk about economic development, and yes, we always have to look at you know what is the local impact. But somehow getting to the local may mean how do we tap in, or how do we enable our individuals or businesses to tap into the global marketplace. Uh, when the, uh, the the two uh, main uh, people spearheading the planning uh, for Kansas City's uh, gigabit network were on the show, you know they talked about you know once you have that network in place, then your uh, schools don't have just a local classroom; they have a global classroom. They can uh, do study groups with kids literally from around the the, the planet. And so looking at that in that perspective gives what you're doing a whole different dimension, you know, a whole different purpose. What is it that you're trying to achieve? And I think we should definitely look at that in terms of, you know, how we are using um, the the technology to make the individual a global player, a global entrepreneur. How do we make the local business, whether they're selling uh, party hats or they're they're selling uh, medical equipment, you know, how do we make them the 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 international player? So we've got to look at those kinds of um, at those kinds of issues. Now, going on, the the next part of the survey looked at the speed issue, and <clears throat> one of the most common questions I get that always makes me a little disgruntled is the who needs a gigabit? Why does a gigabit matter? Now, in fairness to that person, those people, uh, the survey this year, as last year, seemed to coalesce around 100 megabits being the minimum that you need in order to achieve these various outcomes. And in, in the survey, you can look at how different speed categories, everything from the low end of 2 to 4 megabits per second, 
uh, to 25 to 50 up to a gigabit, how people feel these speeds as a minimum impact or what is the minimum speed that will impact these outcomes. Not everyone feels that you need a gigabit. Now, we didn't ask the question in the context of what do you think you'll need in, say, 10 years. Uh, we don't even look at the question of, you know, well, what would you ideally like to have Right, because I think in those cases you probably get different answers, but we just kind of put it in a very short-term context. But if you look at the bigger picture, the reason that folks are looking at, you know, why do we need a gigabit, it is what do we want to grow to? Um, and what's interesting is that the highest percentage of folks who favor a gigabit favor it, uh, it's, in, it's, in, it's impact on attracting new businesses. Because I think that people have figured out that if you're going to convince a company to move into your community by the quality of your communications infrastructure, that business is looking at the value and the quality of that infrastructure 10 years down the road because it's a very significant investment for them to move or to expand your community. So they don't want to be shortchanged by the infrastructure. But even if you take it out of the context of attracting new business, um, if if it is your intent to make your community ready for the future, um, the speed thing is important for the longer term and also from the perspective that, if particularly if you're building a fiber network, and even if you're dealing with some of these, these newer generation fixed wireless networks, once you build the initial infrastructure, um, it is not that great an expense or time commitment to upgrade it to the next level. So you can, you know, either go for the full Monty or you can go for some significant uh point before the full Monty. Uh what was interesting uh, a couple of weeks ago had the um vice president of EPB which is the uh public utility that runs Chattanooga's network and in retrospect she feels like well maybe they should have just gone to the gig from day 1. Because what they did was they did the stepped-up approach. They built the infrastructure, and the infrastructure was always capable of, uh, of providing a gig. But they basically marketed the 30 megabits per second as the primary speed because, one, that was what people were interested in. And it allowed them to get a running start and get a lot of uh, a lot of customers. But but her feeling was that, you know, we were kind of doing this incremental sort of marketing approach and we should have basically have built the full thing, said this is our capability to have the gigabit, but then obviously sell the lesser speeds because as people need more, they can get more. But it just from a you know operational perspective, from a marketing perspective, uh, and maybe even just from the, the sheer cost uh, of building this thing out, just go for it. Just get it done, but just understand that you will not necessarily be selling all of that horsepower today but you will definitely be selling it sooner than you think. Would be my uh, contention on that one. Um, so look, so look at the look at the the impacts there that uh, that are up, that show up in the survey. Now, when it comes to the process and um, operations, we only had a couple of questions in this area, but I think there are very important questions that need to be asked. One is how do you fund the network? And a lot of folks uh, these days, I think a lot of communities are held up or hung up on the whole issue of how do we pay for this? How do we pay for this? We can't afford to pay for this. We don't want to raise taxes. 
Um, and I agree, this is not a good time for raising taxes. But what I think is the question, or what, what should be the case, is that you need to present your stakeholders with options because there are more options out there for a community network than taxpayer dollars, at least in the sense of I am going to now increase your taxes to pay for this network. Um, there are bonds, which some may argue is a variation on the tax because the tax base has to cover the bond if it doesn't work out very well. However, there are community foundations. There are uh, ways that you can raise money from local businesses. Um, you can create a, a program of issuing stocks or promissory notes. You can even go to traditional banks. I think the most uh the more surprising aspect of this year's survey was the response to this question because we didn't give people a whole lot of details on how these different vehicles would work. So you pretty much had to read about a sentence and figure out can we do this, can we not? The the thing that was kind of top of the list, um one was going to a bank. Uh and I and I say that I am surprised by that because in this economic time going to a bank for a loan or going to a traditional financial institution to support a project like this, even though you are creating a community asset, no no doubt about it, would not have been the option that I would have thought people would say, yeah, we can definitely do that. However, 21% um, of folks said, you know, we can do that. Yeah, the guys in, we can go successfully uh, approach a bank, you know, if we have a good plan. And then there were 40% that said, okay, you know, it's maybe 50-50 that we can we can do this. Um, I was like, well, maybe, maybe there is a greater confidence. Or it could be that people are looking at the impact that broadband has or the necessity that it is for the community to continue to, to thrive and grow that they that people are feeling that the case can be made in clear enough terms that a bank will go forth and sponsor the 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 uh the operation but the other thing that was surprising were the number of folks who felt the same way about prepaid uh subscriptions uh again 21% said you know we think that we can definitely do a program we can sell enough uh subscriptions to be able to pay for um the build out and another 42, 43% said, you know what, there's a 50-50 chance that we can do this, especially once you flush out the, um, uh, what is it, the, uh, the particulars of the program. Now, what I think this says is, is a number of things. One, um, that you are that you are selling an asset that you can that from an economic development person's perspective you can make a case strong enough to where you can say um who here wants to put in x number of dollars to make this thing work now utopia is probably the um one of the better examples of doing this uh, because they are doing it, and they are doing it successfully, even though they get a lot of bad press, which I attribute mainly to uh, incumbents and their allies being very disgruntled because it is working. But but um, one of the cities in the 16-city Utopia Consortium uh, was the first one when, when, when Utopia said, okay, we're going to change this model, and people can pay $3,000 to get broadband you know, cabling built out to their house. Um, they and they would also have a lease option, or not a lease, yeah, a, a financing option to pay for it uh, on a on a monthly basis. 
31% of the community of Brigham City jumped on board with that. Most of those going for the full like $3,000 payment, boom, out the gate. So what that tells me between that, Utopia's success in this area, and the survey's response uh, in this area is that if you make a full-on case of what it is that, that broadband is going to do for you economically, if you consider an asset, or in the case of Utopia, it's a two-way asset. I mean, the asset is how it helps the individual, how it helps the homes, how it helps the businesses, but it also adds value to the home. It's like basically putting a new room, a new garage, a new uh, pool you know, to your property. You're bringing in broadband. Well, when time comes to sell the property, that becomes another value that's worth a few extra dollars, that's worth an extra you know, nudge toward your home versus someone else's home because, well, you walk in, broadband's there, boom, a gig network to your door. It's already part of the house. And if you think about that for a second, you know, there's power in that argument. Um, you obviously have to be the ones to sell that argument to to your stakeholders. Um, what's also a, uh, a valuable one, though, again, it hasn't gotten the play or the, the exposure, is, is um, raising money from local businesses. Uh, there's a group in um, Kansas, in New Emporia, Kansas, that um, uh, a group of four guys got together and started selling stock options in a in a broadband network business, and they said they were surprised at the number of farmers and small businesses who, on the face of it, you know, you see Farmer Joe, you see Jane and her, her local, uh, you know, business that she's running, and you look at these folks and say, well, would they actually put in fifty thousand dollars because that's the starting investment amount? You know, but they were pleasantly surprised because these folks did indeed pony up fifty thousand dollars. The company or the, the the company raised uh so much money they had to worry about being oversubscribed and we should all have this problem. But the point being it's a small town you know, twenty, thirty thousand people. It is, you know, every, you know, just sort of your average middle class working folks. A lot of farmers, a lot of I mean, small business owners. Yet those folks, when presented with a viable um, uh, argument for why they should go with broadband, were willing to put the money together, put the money up to be able to um, to, to fund the the network build out. Now I should also say they're not raising the full I don't know 12 14,000 uh 14 million dollars that it would take to build the entire network. What they decided or have calculated was that if they raise enough to cover a quarter to a third of the build out, they can build out that portion of the network and the marketing momentum that comes from showing people the network and the impact that it's having over that one quarter of the community will then be the ability, give them the ability to sell uh, uh, more investment money or go to a traditional bank institution and and get the money that way. But basically, um, you don't necessarily have to do the whole thing just through um, fundraising. You can do a portion of that. And what e, uh, EC Fiber does in Vermont is just a variation on that the, between what U Utopia is doing and uh, what Emporia is doing. I mean, you, in, in 
uh, EC Fiber's case in Vermont, people are investing, so they get an asset that um, that, that pays back money, and they get um, you know ownership of of the network, like personal ownership of the network, and um, and they get a valuable asset for the community. And so all of those arguments together has enabled EC Fiber to raise several million dollars in a bunch of small towns with low populations. Now we're talking like four, five thousand people or less. Yet they are raising collectively between those those communities the money that's needed. Now they're building the network part of the time. They build it. People see it. More people want it. They build. They raise money. They build the next segment of the network. So it is somewhat of a tedious process. But they expect that at some point they will be able to go to a bank and get financing for the rest of it. All of these 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 points brought up to say. There are different ways of approaching it. We've got to look at the communities that are approaching it using these different creative avenues and then figure out, well, how can we do the same thing in our community? And you will be surprised at the response that people um, uh will come up with you know health the healthcare department shouldn't uh, the healthcare department the healthcare arena is is one that we should look at as part of the economic uh, picture. If your community is healthier, people show up to work more often. You know they they miss less days. If you have good healthcare delivery because you have digitized part of the uh, healthcare service delivery apparatus. You convince more people to move to your community. You convince businesses to relocate to your community. Healthcare and digital health, telehealth, whatever our euphemism or whatever our you know label that we will put on that is, is is a very powerful economic tool. Um, you know, you've got to look at um, just down the road. You know, what happens when uh you know you have this huge a huge number of alzheimer's patients you know people that that are suffering from some level of this disease you know as the baby boomers age yet you know another another decade um those those are those are folks that you have to you cannot just ignore especially if they're in smaller towns and communities and their family has moved away you know do you put them in a in a, in a some sort of facility which is generally considered, you know, the first step to to the end, um, or do you allow those folks to be able to operate or at least live more independently? Um, because if you don't, that's a burden. That's a burden on the collective community um, and 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 its economy. And and so you know, and I and I bring that up, or actually one of my guests brought this brought this up um, in the audience uh, because it is a, a factor that needs to be considered. You know, what are we doing for telehealth, and where does it fit in the economic um, picture? Where does it fit in the economic picture? So we've got about uh, ten minutes left here. I want to look at the last couple of um, uh, points here. Uh, a website to check out, by the way, that uh, came in from uh, from Ed, one of my listeners, uh, is www.spotcloud.com. Looks like a good site for um, addressing cloud computing. And you may look at this and get some ideas for how you can bring this into the broadband picture. So, so check that one out. 
Uh, again, that is www.spotcloud.com. All righty. So if I'm looking in the case of the rest of this, so we talked about the uh, the funding. Uh, the uh, business structure is um, is key. Uh, you know, what kind of business structure are you going to have? And that kind of goes hand in hand with the issue of um, how are you going to finance this? What kind of business structure are you going to have? And so what we gave folks as far as options were, you know, they have fully on have a, uh, a, a private service provider run and own the whole thing. But we also looked at, you know, public-private partnerships, what do people feel about those, uh, community owning the network, co-ops owning the network, um, a, a model in which the community owns the infrastructure and the provider delivers service. What was interesting is that the people who support having an, uh, the private company run it and own it completely dropped about nine percentage points from uh, last year. So only about 43% of respondents feel that, you know, give it up, give it over to the to the private sector to run entirely. And um, 25% of folks believe that there should be some sort of uh, community public-private partnership. Or there's a there's a 19% to feel that the community should own the infrastructure and the provider should deliver services over it. So basically, what folks are saying or have said from this year over last year is that we want to be a partner in the game. We do not believe that the private sector by itself is going to meet our needs. Either we have incumbents that aren't going to serve us at all, or they're not going to serve us with the kinds of speed and the kinds of quality of service that we feel to be of value to our economic uh, uh, existence, not what's important to the private sector's uh, bottom line. And so the, um, the the drive or the interest in uh, public-private partnerships is is huge. I would caution, as I'm sure that a lot of these folks would also caution you, that you have to be careful about the structure. You know, because sometimes people will say, "Okay, we've got a public-private partnership because we've given the incumbent uh, some access to our vertical assets." Okay, technically that is a public-private partnership, but technically. Do you own enough of the business of broadband, meaning do you own enough of an influence in what happens with that infrastructure to help your or to get the kinds of services and the kinds of speeds and the kinds of prices that allow underserved communities to advance themselves economically? Do you have the, the, the influence over decisions that that provider makes, that partner makes, so that you can influence um, – the kinds of services and speeds that your business community needs. Because if you don't have enough influence, you really don't have a viable partnership. You are participating in an effort. You are facilitating the private sector's presence, but you're not really a partner in the business of making broadband work and have an economic dev uh, development impact in your community. And so I think that what a lot of these uh, economic development folks are saying is that, yeah, we need to have – that relationship. So you have to be very careful about how you structure that. So that's that's kind of the world of uh, you know the operations, uh, the, the fundraising aspect of it, and the, what kind of business operation are you going to have? 
Um, there was a smaller percentage, like in the four or five percent range, that said, okay, the the local co-op running it is a good idea, um, and then another four percent saying, you know, the community should own it, meaning the municipality. Um, I'm always mixed in my sentiments about, you know, do I take that as well? They're undervaluing the the the, the role of a co-op, or you know, will it take another year or two, and we'll see a dramatic change in the number of folks who say that they want to have a, uh, a co-op or a non-profit community-owned um, network. So, in terms of policy, which we'll look at here for the last couple of um, minutes, the survey does look at uh, two issues. One is um, urban areas. One of my constant uh, pet peeves, if you will, is that we look at urban areas and particularly underserved urban areas and and we, and I, I use this loosely, I'm usually referring to the policy makers and the, uh, the politicians and so forth. Um, what comes out of our national broadband policy in terms of programs as it pertains to urban areas is okay, but I don't consider it greatly, I don't know, effective by itself. And what I mean is, you know, we spent a fairly decent amount of dollars in hundreds of millions to get computing centers built and going in, in, in urban areas, and also some in, in rural areas. But, you know, I think the eye was toward the urban areas. You know, we we're going to give uh, most of the $7 billion to rural communities, but, you know, let's do a little something for our urban areas. So let's give them computing centers. Let's um, run these broadband adoption programs because if we tell urban folk that, oh, you know, here's all the value because obviously you're not using broadband because you don't see a value in the, 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 the network and broadband. So let us market the service to you better. Um, I feel that the computing centers are a valuable foundation that should not be, um, you know, that should not have necessarily a diminished role because they do have value. But by themselves, I think we're, we're you know, we, we talk about putting the cart before the horse. I think in this case, we, we sort of just put the, the, the cart out there and we don't give it the horse at all. And, and what I mean by that is 63% of the survey respondents said, you know, what you really need if you're going to impact urban areas, urban underserved areas, um, faster networks, cheaper prices. And, you know, it's basically they acknowledge what I've been saying to folks quite a while, which is the infrastructure in urban areas, especially poor urban areas, sucks. It is the bottom of, you know, it's, it's the last to be upgraded if it's ever going to be upgraded. Um, prices are high. And people say, well, no, it's not. Well, yes, it is. Because what do we usually push? What do, what do, what do the cable companies, what do the telcos push? They push the triple play. Well, because that's where they make their money. However, you know, trying to convince somebody to, to get cheap broadband, because, but have to also have to get, in order to get cheap broadband, it has to be part of a package where you're paying 120 bucks to get cable and voice and all the rest of it. Well, that's that's impractical. It's a it's a red herring, if you will. What's really needed is attention on the infrastructure. And I think economic development folks know this and recognize this. I think a lot of other folks recognize this as well. I mean, how much good does it do to send your kids to a computing center but send them home to really crappy infrastructure? I mean, really, when you look at that question, 
you know, you can see how the economic development folks came up with what they came up with. You know, you need faster speeds, you need better infrastructure, you need better infrastructure and affordable services. What is also interesting, I thought, was that um, the second place after after you know that after the faster speeds and cheaper services was you know teach people how to use broadband to increase wealth. Just a very simple take this money that we're spending to create programs that teach folks um, how to build their their job skills, how to compete more effectively for a better paying job, how to, you know, tie in the community colleges. The points I made before earlier about, you know, teaching people how to improve their, their personal wealth. If you do that, you don't have to worry about marketing the values of broadband and trying to sell them a service, you know, through a big slick marketing campaign. You just put a very practical program and say, "Look, take this program for the next 6 months and be a better job candidate." I think people in these urban areas can figure out very quickly that, well, maybe I need to get a to be pump, come part of this broadband world because there was a very clear line between where I am and where I could be. And then the last question of the survey deals with regulation. Should we, you know, if you bring in more consumer beneficial regulation, is this going to be the end of the free market and the world as we know it? And pretty much 80% of respondents feel that um, pro-consumer, pro-local business regulations and rules are beneficial to that community. They're not going to eliminate jobs. They're not going to be all the end of the free market system as we know it. It may very well be that the incumbent su suffers a loss because they can't keep up with, um, you know, the, the the demands or 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 they can't deal with the fact that. Um, that the the playing field has become more level, but the local community itself and the local businesses will will benefit. So, in conclusion, I, you know, I think that everybody should uh, should check out the survey, but and look at it in the context of your community, but look at it in the context of what outcomes are you trying to impact, and what are these folks, you know, what are they saying, you know, what are economic development saying, are the real values of the broadband uh, broadband technology. Uh, so, so do that thing. Get that survey. Check it out. Talk to people who are getting broadband done in various communities, uh, and so let's start drawing some more lines to economic development. Let's start getting some more projects launched to tackle economic development, and let's get you know by this time next year a much rosier uh, picture and some clear-cut examples of how broadband is helping local economies uh, do great things. And I thank you, our audience, for being with us today. And uh, tell all your friends, Gigabit Nations, here every week. Uh, later this week, we'll actually be looking at um, the state of Maine and how they have progressed with their broadband. Uh, thank you very much for your time and, and participation, and look forward to talking to you uh, again soon. Have a great day. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.